This is The Varsity, a sports podcast from The Record North Shore, your nonprofit local news site. Howdy, folks, and welcome to the latest episode of The Varsity Podcast, the podcast where we discuss everything involving North Shore High School sports. I'm Michael Dwojek here with the Friday Night Drive, along with the Record North Shore founding member, Joe Coughlin, as we get you caught up on um, some thrilling football uh, details and um, a state championship as well. So we've got a lot to talk about in this week's episode of the Varsity Podcast. We're going to do our regular four-quarter format. In the first quarter, we recap Loyola's thrilling win over Lincoln Way East, the 3 nothing win in the Class 8A quarterfinals. In the second quarter, we talk about a state champion in our midst, the new Trier girls swimming and diving team. We talk about that and then are joined by head coach Matt Guy, in the third quarter, we play our weekly guessing game of way or no way. While in the fourth quarter, we preview semifinal action here. Lockport traveling up to Loyola on Saturday, so we'll get you all set up and ready for that matchup. But before we do that, just a quick reminder that you can subscribe to the podcast anywhere that they're available. Make sure to like us, subscribe, give a nice little review as well, and spread the word while you're at those sporting events. We always appreciate all the great feedback that we get. So, um, Let's just jump into into it, Joe, where um, on Saturday you and I were both at the game. Um, Not really – something we haven't really seen in a very long time, at least uh, this season, is Loyola struggled to score um, more than 21 points. They only scored three points, luckily, um, for the Ramblers. Lincoln Weiss didn't score at all. And um, it was really a defensive battle. I wouldn't really say that weather really played a factor in it, but it was just basically – um, a battle that we kind of expected from two state uh, Class 8A powerhouses where um, both defenses just performed extremely well. And um, Loyola just got that one field goal from Mike Baker, um, who was really p- putting uh, reporters up for a little uh, twist when uh, he decided <laughs> to change his number and no one knew who the kicker was for a little bit there. But um, Mike uh, Baker's uh, kick at the end of the second quarter was a difference there, Joe, where um, we saw quite a defensive battle on uh, Saturday afternoon. Not only did Mike Baker uh, wear 19, there's a 19 on the Nutri- or on the Loyals offense, Charlie Mann, and Baker changed shirts, uh, undershirts at halftime. So we were like, wait, what happened to the 19 that kicked the field goal? Anyway, <laughs> we figured it out. It got figured out. It was Baker. Um, These are reporter problems. <laughs> but what was your question again? I just wanted to talk about Mike Baker. Um, just what, uh, I mean, obviously we saw a great defensive battle between these two teams. I mean, obviously we've seen these two battle uh, recently and um, really lived up to the hype on Saturday again. Yeah. And that's what these two teams bring to the table. It's been their hallmark for, uh, I mean, years, almost their existence, but definitely under the tenures of their head coaches, uh, Halasek and uh, Zvona are over at East is their defense and their linebacking core specifically. They tackle well. They flow to the ball really well. You're not going to get a ton of space. Um, if you have a elite playmaker, you know, you can, you can get those running rooms and just kind of beat them on skills and talent alone. But in terms of just group versus group, uh, they're going to win those battles because of how disciplined and how well coached they are. Um, and of course there's also um, talent. And uh, so that's what we saw. I was surprised um, that Loyal wasn't able to pop one um, in their passing game specifically. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not probably, um, smart enough to know exactly why that happened. Um, you know, there was probably a lot of factors, of course, 
a great play was a big part of it. Um, I thought Sterney had some time to find some receivers, but you know, when he threw, he threw into coverage. It was just some, some great coverage by Lincoln way East. Um, a couple drives new, you know, Loyola did dominate the time of possession in this one. Um, so they, they were able to keep the Lincoln way offense off the field and, uh, and really just, um, you know, try to pound away. They just weren't able to get anything major going, you know, chunks here and there. Like when I say chunk, I'm talking about seven yard run or uh, maybe an eight yard pass, but nothing major um, throughout the whole game. So um, they did throw an interception as well on probably their most promising drive, which was the first drive of the game. Um, it seemed like they were about to get some points, whether a field goal or um, punched in and, um, Sterney threw an interception. So uh, just a defensive slugfest. And, you know, it, it does leave some questions. They're going to face another tough defense here with uh, a lot of talent, including an all-stater uh, in Lockport. Um, I don't think it's as good as East, to be honest, um, but it's still good. So that's a question going into this one is how and will Loyola move the football? And essentially, I mean, this game came down to some uh, trickery where uh, Loyola – earlier in the game had gone for a fake punt and uh, almost had it. But I, I think that, I think that one was where the ball just kind of dropped and um, had a, a play there and it just didn't work out. But um, Loyola had a fourth and three with uh, um, some time left on the clock and it looked like Loyola stalled again and looked like it was going to be uh, um, Lincoln Ways was going to get at least one last chance to, you know, put a drive together and see whether they're able to tie the ball game. And um, Loyola called timeout and then saw that, um, Lincoln Way East wasn't going to uh, defend, you know, any of the open guys there. So um, Jake Sturney took the punt and essentially found Jake Jack Parker um, pretty wide open, and um, he was able to take it down to the Griffins' 18. They put the ball, uh, put the game away by uh, taking a couple of kneels as uh, Lincoln Way East didn't have any timeouts left. But um, talking with Coach Holosek, I mean, he said if you're going to give it to us, we're going to take it and. Um, a pretty gutsy play from Holosek and from the special teams coordinator, um, especially since it didn't work earlier. It, it was encouraging to see that um, even though it didn't work, even though it almost did work, um, that they still had the confidence to go for it again. Yeah, that was cool. Um, and, you know, throughout, you know, we've seen Holosek make gutsy calls, whether it's going for two at the buzzer, you know, to win a game, whether which he's done multiple times, fourth down um, attempts when, um, maybe they're not a hundred percent necessary. You could do other things. He, he trusts his team and trusts their schemes. Um, we've seen that a lot through him through the years. And it's a big reason why Loyola is able to put some games away um, and, and win without too much drama from here time to time. And that one, you know, you say that play didn't work. It was actually on their previous, um, previous possession. Um, the, the fake punt that didn't work really, it just wasn't executed. Um, I think he was open. I think they needed about five yards um, and, uh, he, the ball was just dropped. Um, but that's what you get. And that's why a lot of schools either have their quarterback as their punter or somebody who's very athletic can do multiple things, multiple skill set, like throw the ball as well as kick the ball, um, because it gives you a lot of options there. So they have their, their, um, quarterback, Jake Sterney, who punts and, um, they don't punt too much, but when they do right. they have that option and they obviously have a lot of plays drawn up for some fakes, they only needed a couple yards there. Um, and Sterney did the thing we see a lot in high school where the punter takes a few steps in one direction, um, to kind of directional punt or just kind of just, you know, do that toe bash down the field where you hope to get a good roll. And, uh, 
he he flipped it back a little counter throw to a uh, to Jack Parker in the flat, and he had tons of space. I think it was about a 25 yard gain, something like 30 yard gain, 25, um, when they only needed a few. So there was tons of space there. Like Halasek said, they gave it to him, so they took it, and that sealed the game um, for, for the Ramblers. So just a just a well executed play that they had in the books. They saw an opening and they took it, and uh, we expect those things out of the Ramblers. We've seen them before. Yeah, definitely. And then this defense, I mean, I, I think they finished with seven sacks. Um, really, really was able to uh, create up or limit opportunities whenever they could. I mean, Lincoln Weiss had its best opportunity in the third quarter when uh, Loyola muffed a, a punt and it just slipped through the hands of Sterney and um, turned the ball over on its 15. And uh, the Griffins only gained a, uh, a yard on two runs and had a delay of game penalty. Game penalty and then uh, Loyola forced two sacks just turned the ball over. I mean, that was pretty much the story of the day that um, wherever, whenever that Loyola defense needed a stop, they essentially got it, got it with the sack. Yeah, man, that, that defense was, that pass rush was scary on Saturday. It was just all over the East quarterback. You had to feel for him because, um, maybe there were a couple where he had some time, but most of those sacks, he didn't have time to, to release the ball at all. I mean, they were on him in a second and, so impressed with with the rush of all those guys, the collective rush, but also Sam Russian had a heck of a game, um, getting getting a big push and really um, taking advantage. And so did uh, Graham McCabe. Is that right? Yeah, Graham McCabe yeah. had a good game. Um, and you, I think everybody had a sack. I was actually surprised it was only seven or eight. I was waiting for um, our reporter Neil Milbert's story. Um, I thought we were going to be in double digit sacks just because it seemed every time that pass rush came through um, and put them in negative yardage. Like you said, that was, that felt like a game momentum, uh, momentum switch right there with the errant snap. Cause Nutrier or loyal, I keep doing that. Nutrier's done. <laughs> so they're done. Um, Lincoln was on. over on the 15 um, that's field goal range minimum. And two, I think they got two sacks, pushed them back all the way to about the 35 or 40. So um, that did away with the drive right there, and then they had to go for it. So that was a very impressive showing from their pass rush. They've been doing it for a couple weeks now. It feels like they've really gelled and figured out something there in their pass rush that uh, is going to disrupt, and they're ha they'll have to disrupt the loyal the Lockport passing game as well. All right, let's talk about this offense, where I feel like we've been talking about this offense scoring a lot and um, kind of being a little bit different from what we're used to seeing when it comes to Loyola offense and. Um, I had a notebook come out today where they averaged 35 points per game in 12 regular season playoff games. And um, even without Maldonado, after he broke his, uh, uh, his collarbone, they still averaged 29.88 points per game. And on, on Saturday, they only had three. And like you mentioned earlier, I mean, they had their longest drive, which uh, um, seemed like it was really successful. And then uh, Sterney was intercepted. And then their second longest drive was the one where uh, Baker knocked that field goal in at the end of the second quarter. But, um, it just seemed like penalties and um, Hollis, I gave a lot of credit to Lincoln way East. Obviously they have a very talented defense and they're able to um, stuff some things out, but um, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but how concerned are you or what, what, what are your just general thoughts about what the offense wasn't really able to do on Saturday? I mean, I'm concerned. I think you're going to see another stout defense. That's why, you know, if, if you make it to the title game, it'll be uh, main South or, um, uh, Marist, who I think have 
fine defenses, but not as stout as Link Waste or, or Lockport has been. So um, right. I think I'm concerned more on this game, just on their offense. And how can you not be? They only scored three. I know the weather, it was cold. It, it was the coldest day they've faced. So sometimes that has a little bit to it, but they, they had those holding penalties, which, which stalled some drives and really pushed them back behind the sticks after a couple good runs. So it seemed um, I was surprised and I don't, I didn't see how talk about this, but after that first drive and maybe the second drive, um, their uh, lead running back, um, Mike Regan, didn't get much carry. They moved to yeah. uh, Nemesheim, um, the sophomore, and Krutz. And I thought that was probably because they wanted more of home run threats. Um, Regan's more of a steady uh, first down type back, possession back. Um, and they seem to maybe want some bigger chunk gains to try to move the ball maybe a little quicker and set their quarterback in a better spot. But um, they only got a couple of those too. And like I said, the penalties. So I was surprised they moved away from Regan. I thought he could have maybe led them down the field, but um, I say those things knowing that they know more than I do. So um, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a bit worried. I, I, I didn't see much other passing game down the field. Um, we had a couple drops, but it wasn't like they were wide open drops. They were contested drops. Um down the field. And uh, I think they're going to need to do that against Lockport because Lockport's going to be gunning for you. They've got a pretty prolific offense. Um, so I, I would imagine um, they're going to at least threaten to score. Um, we'll see if the defense can step up for Loyola, but they're at least threaten and you're going to need to score more than three points at some point in the next couple games. Right. All right. We'll preview that Lockport game um, in the fourth quarter, but before we move on to the second quarter, any other final thoughts from this semifinal or the sport final game or, Anything else you really saw around the playoffs this weekend? I've covered a lot of football games over the past 15 years. And so I'm probably forgetting one that was like 0-0 and went to overtime. But I can't remember a 3-0 game. I think that was the first one I've seen. So that's rare to me, especially when you're seeing two elite programs not being able to punch it is. Just a weird game, I thought. Um, and as I mentioned, that pass rush does scare me for Loyola. That was uh, almost threatening on the sideline. Yeah, it was a pretty fast game too. I mean, I think they got it done in like two hours or, or something close to like something close to that. But it was a pretty a uh, pretty close game that uh, took place there. But yeah, it was definitely a fun game to watch. A lot of great defense taking place, and um, we'll preview uh, the semifinal matchup in the fourth quarter. But let's move on over now to the second quarter, where uh, Joe spent his second half of Saturday driving over to Westmont and um, checking out what the girls' swimming and diving team was able to do at state. Um, and that's exactly that winning a state championship um, as a team, a lot of great performances from the Trevians. Um, Joe, I know you were there. So um, what took place on Saturday and how special was, uh, was that? I mean, we had talked about how good this team could be, especially even last year when there was no state meet, but for them to realize that this year and get that state championship, it had to mean a lot. Yeah, it certainly did. You know, they had a few girls on that team, especially the seniors who sophomore year, because that was the last state tournament, they finished second and a pretty close second, about 12 points behind the, the winner, who I think was Nequa Valley. So I think they came in hungry and they, they just had so much talent on this roster, um, especially in the senior class in their lineup, I should say. And what they did was special. I mean, they broke two state records. One was their own that they set in 2019 <laughs> in the 200 uh, medley relay. But first team ever in Illinois to go under 140 um, in the medley relay. And they did 139 and change. Um, pretty special there. I know that's one they really wanted 
um, and that um, they won. The relays at state, I think, are so exciting to watch. Obviously, you get the whole crowd behind you. They're so special. Um, they finish second, and they get you the most points. Like a first-place finish in a relay is 30 points compared to about half of that for uh, an individual event. So to go first, second in the in the short free relay, and then first again in the 400 free relay, I mean, that's going to set you up in championship position. And they backed it up with some other victories and, and some depth performances as well. So really an impressive team, um, fun to watch. Um, you know, they won the meet by 82 points. So they had 182 and the second place and third place teams, well, the two second place teams tied for 100. So it was never really, it wasn't after the first few events, first like five or six, it was a foregone conclusion that Nutrier had this one. And after they already had it, uh, they won the last three events to just put, put a stamp on it and, uh, or tie a bow, whichever one you like. It was a uh, pretty cool. <laughs> Kalen Gridley and Carly Novaline finish uh, just all America type careers at Nutrier. And they're going on to huge programs, Duke for Kalen and uh, Virginia for um, Carly. Um, they're specialists. Uh, Carly does the backstroke and Kalen does the breaststroke. Um, they both won their events. Kalen set a state record. Um, Carly won her second backstroke. She won in 2019 as a sophomore as well. Um, just really special performances, man. It was, that's a really talented team. And it's wonder, I, you know, you wonder if like, maybe they didn't win realize maybe they weren't that great, what it would have been like, because the next four teams were at 100, 100, 98, and 97 points. It was all so close down there, but Nutrier, that was the highest margin of victory since I think 13 years. So pretty historic win. Yeah, definitely. So um, why don't we take a minute now? I know you are caught up with head coach Matt Guy. Um, so what are the folks at home going to hear from Mac about um, another state championship for the Nutrier uh, girls swimming and diving program? Yeah, it's his second state championship. He won one his first year, but it's been a minute um, since they last won one in 2013. Um, so we talked just about what this team was all about, what made them special. Um, he talks about his senior class, which features not just those two I mentioned, but also the um, the Wendell twins, Alexis and Leslie, Jane Sanderson, um, just a really Sydney Holder, the diver, just a really special senior class. Um, we talk about that and uh, just the dominating dominating nature of this state title all right let's take a listen what a weekend for you just uh watching that unfold i know you guys had at least the state title in hand maybe halfway through saturday or two-thirds through but how, how did it feel watching all those record swims um it was pretty amazing the uh i, I think you know, we were in a really strong position after friday night and um I was really, really happy with the way that everybody had performed to that point. Um, but then to come back and be even better uh, during finals was really amazing. When we uh, when we went 139 um, in the medley relay just to kick off the meet, it was it was pretty thrilling. I mean, no school has ever been under 140 in history and so to better our our medley real estate record from two years ago by almost a full second was uh amazing i mean it was it was a real thrill and it uh set the tone for the rest of the 
something that uh, always amazes me. Just, you know, you have all these talented swimmers and they're, they've been record setting for most of their careers, but then they step it up a notch. What, what makes that happen in the last few days of a tournament or a meet? Um, you know, I, I, I think it's just the fact that it's finals and that you're competing for a trophy that to, to that point, you know, sectionals is intense and prelims is intense, but those are all just to get the opportunity uh, to compete for a team title. And, and so I think for them to, to rise to the occasion, not just in terms of their own performance, but in terms of their, their level of focus and support for one another uh, was cool. And it was a testament of just how good this team is. And obviously a lot of good performances throughout the weekend. Anything stick out to you? Uh, I mean, we have the record. We got all that recorded. But anything special stick out to you through the couple days? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, the, uh, I mean, basically there's a, there's a story behind every single performance, but I think, uh, a few that really stood out to me were, uh, the first, the performance of the divers, Sydney Holder and Amelia Heverin, I think, you know, they, they went out early on Friday and to get to the pool on Friday afternoon, with the swimmers and to see that they had made it through the first cut uh, was like, it, it's hard, it's hard to describe. And I, I it's something that, um, you know, Bruce Kimball has been so consistently great in terms of getting his kids to qualify for the state meet and to, to make it into the top 12 for finals, uh, is that it's, it's pretty awesome. But I think, you know, rolling in there before we've swum a single event and know that we're going to get a bunch of points from our divers, is just like a little psychological boost for everybody. And, um, so I think their performances were great. And then I would say, um, the two performances of uh, the Wendell twins, Alexis and Leslie, that Alexis's hundred fly winning consoles on Saturday, setting a team record um, at fifty four eighty five, and then for her sister Leslie uh, to lead off the four hundred free relay uh, in a lifetime best of fifty one eight um, to set us up to to win that uh, state championship in the final event. Those stood out to me as being really exceptional performances that may not get headlines, but um, you know, performances like that are the ones that make us so deep and made us so dominant this weekend. Now, I got, I got to ask you. I just want to kind of hear your thoughts. I know you probably can't choose, but I mean, you know, how how does this rank among program teams? It's got to be up there, right? Um. That is really hard to say because we have had some darn good teams at New Trier. I think back to like the 2011, uh, 2010, 2011 team. Um, you know, we had a we had a team in 2012 where our third fastest 
500 freestyler would have scored top six in the state. But she didn't. She didn't even make the team. So I, I won't. Let's just say, as a team, we make it a um, a point not to compare ourselves with uh, with our past selves or um, or future selves. So so those teams were great. This team was great, and this was um, just a really amazing group to work with. Um, and your, I guess, you know, your top scores are, um, Carly and Kalen. What can you say about their careers at new career? And, and you know, the Wendells and Sanderson, they're, they're all uh, put up really impressive careers. Yeah. Um, I mean, as a senior class, they are, they haven't lost a single mate since, um, they've been here. So they're undefeated dual mates, undefeated invites. And, um, and certainly this uh, state championship is pretty impressive. I think, um, you know, for Kalen and Carly in particular, though, they were, they were exceptionally dominant. And um, the two of them, you know, to have, to the, the two of them on the team in the same class uh, was really an extreme stroke of luck. Um, but because they they bring out the best in each other, I get the impression they they are good friends, and they swim, they like compete in really different events. But I think I think it's fair to say that one would not have been quite as good without the other. Uh, they push each other in practice every day, um, and. And while they are probably two of the most competitive people I've ever coached, they're also um, they're also extremely supportive of their teammates. And I think that was one thing that really enabled us to perform so well at the end was while well, they they are in a different class, um, you know, as as they've demonstrated with uh, their performances at Olympic trials, with their performances this year um, as part of national teams. Um, they, I, I don't think they, they carried themselves with their teammates as uh, better than they really uh, helped the group rally together in a way that, made it possible for everybody to be at the best and not feel like they had to live up to some kind of false standards. Thanks so much, Mac, for joining us, and congratulations again to the swimming and diving team at New Trier. Um, obviously, another great addition of a very storied program, so congrats to everyone involved there. All right, we're halfway through the podcast. So let's move on over now to the third quarter where we play our weekly game of way or no way. I throw five things at Joe, and we both say whether something can happen or whether it won't happen. Um, we actually are in the middle of a winter season, or actually we just started winter season as the girls' basketball teams have started their games here in the last couple of days. Um, boys' basketball will be starting next week, and um, we'll have wrestling and girls' gymnastics and boys' and girls' bowling um, taking place as well. So the winter season is here, even though we're still talking about football. we got hopefully two more weeks of that, but um, let's start off here, Joe, where both Loyola and New Trier girls basketballs are playing at the New Trier Thanksgiving tournament. So way or no way that Loyola wins the New Trier tournament this week or this upcoming weeks. 
Mm, man, it's so early to tell. I'm not going to. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to go into deep analysis because I haven't seen these teams yet, and uh, you know, it's it's been a few months since we have, and there has been a lot of graduation. But um, you know, Nutria was young last year, and I think a year older, more experience. I think they're expecting a pretty. Um, a pretty nice group here um, and a pretty effective group. So I think, I think way, I, I think they might be the most talented team in this class and, and loyal is kind of resetting um, regrouping after just an incredible, uh, although COVID shortened year, they got in a ton of games. They won a ton of games, five of their, you know, they started five seniors for most of the year and they all are playing college ball right now. So um, really talented class last year and they're kind of just uh, next man upping it next woman upping it for this uh, this season. And I'm excited to see what they put out there. So I think they're still going to be good, but I think Nutrier's got a leg up. All right. I think I'll go, um, I think way with Loyola winning this Nutrier tournament. I think um, both teams are going to be talented. I do think Nutrier or Loyola loses some um, talent, obviously to graduation. And that might take them down a step um, down from what they're used to playing. Got to figure out some new, um, players and rotations and that kind of stuff. But I do think Loyola will finish on top of Nutria. Probably might they might see each other um, if that's possible in the bracket. But um, way, I think that they'll uh, win the tournament there. All right, we realize that the second question is a very loaded question and probably needs more discussion than probably the two minutes that we're going to give it. But we're going to do it anyways. Um, way or no way, Joe, that the Nutria boys basketball team can win the CSL South? Yeah, I mean, way they can't. I think they absolutely can. But the CSL South, as we've known, is is at a very high point. Um, Glenbrook South is returning two of its uh, big guys, right? Uh, Cooper, Norad, and uh, another one of the many, many uh, Martinelli's. Um, <laughs> so, they, I mean, they're going to be right back up there. Evanston is Evanston. Uh, clearly one of the class programs in the state. They're going to be up there. Um and didn't we see didn't we see someone else compete for last year? Am I forgetting somebody? Main South was good. I yeah, think. I think Main South is good. And, and you know, the Niles on the other on the other half are good. So anyway, um, I think, but it's entirely possible. And is returning a lot of talent that was started last year, who got a ton of experience over the summer, um, and really are growing. And it looks like they're they're getting a lot of press too. So maybe it's maybe it's hyped more um for Nutrier for these guys, but they got a good and a balanced attack um that i think is going to be pretty special you know i know it's early obviously the season haven't even started but i'm going to drink the kool-aid away i think that they <laughs> uh, have a chance to uh win the csl south i'm not here telling you that they're going to win by five games or anything like that if Nutrier ends up winning it it's probably going to come down to a game against evanston or gbs it's not um it's not going to be a clean um clean break or anything like that um uh, whoever is going to win this division is going to do it probably by half a game, if not a game um, with the thriller taking place. But I do think they have the opportunity. We saw some big plays out of the summer league this past summer. So, um, and I think a lot of those kids are going to be motivated after not having the playoffs last uh, spring. So um, way, I do think that the Nutrient boys team can win it. And I, I think the CSL South is going to be one of the better uh, divisions um, in boys basketball this season. All right, way or no way, Joe Loyola boys hoops can be a top four seed in their sectional this year. Oh, yeah, I think way. Um, I don't know if it's likely, but I think they can be. I like uh, they got some guys back as well, um, and they're always just, you know, under coach. Um, 
oh, now I'm blanking on the coach's name. Livatino. The Livatino, of course. Um, coach Livatino, there's such just a gritty and a come to play every single day, hardworking basketball team. You're never going to, rarely going to blow them out, no matter who you are. And they're going to upset you if you let them hang in. They just will. Um, they grind out victories. They grind out tough games. Maybe they only average 42 points a game, but that's what they want to do. They want to hold you under 40. And they, they consistently do it each year. So um, those wins rack up when you play like that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think so. I think way. I think way as well. I think, uh, obviously, I think usually Evanston and Utrea are in the same sectional as all, as they are. And um, Glenbrook South might be as well. I don't know if we have the assignments out. Probably not. But um, I, I do think they have the potential to be a top four seed for the same reasons that you said. This team always competes and always does well. So um, a way that they can be a top four seed in that sectional. All right. New Trier, Girls Swimming and Diving. We talked about them in the second quarter. Um, they won another state championship. Um, where no way that this version of the team is the best in the program history. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask this. Um, maybe the, it has. To, I don't. Well, I don't know because they won <laughs> seven straight in what, like the. They won seven straight under Coach Woodbury, and then they won four straight in the early 2010s. Um, none as dominant as this, though. Um, a couple were close. So in the dominant category, just by numbers, you have to say yes, compared to their competition, which is, you know, uh, swimmers, just nature of the sport, uh, nature of the technology. They get faster and faster every year. That's why in, you know, the U.S. Olympics, we always see like, oh, another, you know, four more records fell this year. It's because just the technology and everything gets uh, better, stronger, faster. But um, so it's one of those sports. But so compared to the competition, you know, beating them by almost double, right, uh, is pretty darn impressive. So in that category, I have to say yes. You know, when you're looking at the individuals that make up the roster, I think Kaylin and Carly are going to go down as two of the best to ever put on the Nutrier uh, swimsuit, uh, swim cap, maybe that's the appropriate phrase, but, um, there's so many other ones through the years that have, you know, qualified for the, uh, Olympic games that have, uh, been national champs in college, things like that. So, um, the best team I'll say no way, just because there's been so many, uh, that they're at least at best tied. <laughs> you know, Joe, we're recording this on a gray Wednesday. I think, think, uh, we got rain in the forecast and uh, it's going to be cold again. We got thirties coming up. So I'm going to keep on drinking the Kool-Aid and say way um, based on what you talked about. I mean, obviously it's hard to compare arrows when, like you mentioned, the technology is getting better where swimmers are getting better each and every day. Um, but I think I'm going to go away just based on the fact that they broke their own records and the fact that they're swimming at the fastest times ever. So um, I think that warrants for a way, obviously, who knows how the other teams would have competed had they had the same technology that today's swimmers do, but um, I'm going to go way there. And I just think that this team is probably the best um, in the storied history of new Trier uh, swimming. Awesome. All right. Final, final question we got here. The all state uh, coaches, all state players were announced on Tuesday. One Loyola player made a James Crutes uh, linebacker slash running back. Uh, way or no way, Joe, that another Loyola player was snubbed on the All-State list? I mean, I'll say no way just because, you know, that list is, what, 20, 25 kids long. Um, and if Marco Maldonado played a full season, he was All-State 
and I would have I would have railed against it if he wasn't. But how can you? He only played four games. Um, he's an all-state talent. Um, he, he might be one of the he might be the best running back I've seen in high school. Maybe uh, Vaughn Pemberton was special last year. I've seen some others through the years, you know, but it, what he was doing through four games was unbelievable. And it didn't look like anyone was going to stop him um, because he did it against a couple um, really good programs at that point. Um, but James Crutes, I'm glad he made it. I could see a case because Loyola's defense, we've seen it in the past. They, they share the load so much and they're so good across the board that there could be two or three guys, but never that one guy. Um, but they, they've had guys on Allstate before, but sometimes they have those years. So I'm glad James made it because he's a special, special football player. And I did see, um, I think he's gotten some offers at this point, but um, I hope he, he commits soon because colleges will not regret a football player like James Cruz. So I will say no way there wasn't a snub. I think I'll, I'll be lame and I'll agree with you there. I think, uh, I think there are obviously worthy players on Loyola's team, but you're trying to make a, a team out of all these players in class A day and all these different classes. And I think it's too tough to do it, obviously. So I think uh, um, there's a lot of talent. I think everyone on that roster who was included um, obviously deserves to be there, but, um, I think there are probably a few Loyola players who might have deserved to be there, but I think it's too hard to tell. So I don't, I don't think it's exactly a snub. I just think that there are just too many talented players in the state, and that can be hard uh, sometimes. And it might feel like it's a snub, but maybe it's not. Um, all right, let's move on over now to the fourth quarter where we preview Class 8A semifinal action here between Lockport and Loyola. Kickoff is at 1 o'clock on Saturday at Loyola. Um, Happy to see that the IHSA didn't make Loyola travel on the road as the highest seed um, in the semifinals, but um, we'll have a good matchup here. Lockport's lone loss of the season came to Lincoln Way East in a 12 to 10 battle um, in the playoffs. Um, Lockport has beaten Lions 35 to 10, Glenbard West 34 to nothing, and then survived against Glenbard North. 28 to 22 last week in the quarterfinals. So Joe, what are you expecting? We talked a little bit about Lockport defense. What are you expecting in this semifinal matchup here between Lockport and Loyola? I mean, I'm expecting something similar to be honest, Michael, as we just saw, um, not, I don't think as, Oh, what's a good word. What's a pleasant word. Um, <laughs> I'd say a bit more offense. Um, than we saw, um, to be nice about it, but, um, something similar. I think these defenses are going to punch each other a little bit. Lockboard's defense is, is really good. You know, they, they shut out Glenbard West a couple weeks ago. Um, and Glenbard West does not have a dynamic offense, but they're a dynamic program. You know, they're a good program and they beat them up 34 zero. They did just allow 22 to Glenbard North. So, um, they can score, um, or you can score on them. Um, but it is a really good defense. So that's what I'm expecting. Um, but I do think Loyola will figure a couple things out here. I don't think Lockport's defense is as good as Lincoln East. It's good, but it's not as good. Um, so I think Loyola figures a couple things out and will, will definitely dent the scoreboard. Um, but I, I, I think Loyola's pass rush is just playing at such a level right now. Lockport's going to be well aware of that and going to be going to have to do some things, some counters, um, some play action just to hold that defense, but can they run the football with Ty Schultz, who's a, uh, an unbelievable player in his own right. I think he probably had a, did he have 175 yards this week or the week before? 
uh, against big time opponents. So he's, he's playing at a high level for Lockport in the postseason. So is their quarterback who's, I think has thrown for over 2000, maybe over 2,300 yards. So they like to wing it. Um, so it's balanced and uh, that can sometimes hold a pass rush at bay. So we'll see if they're able to do that. But um, I think, I think, Loyal is just playing at such a high level with their pass rush and with their defense that you aren't going to be able to get much, especially on Saturday in Wilmette. So um, I expect a game similar. What do you think? I think that I think Saturday was a wake up call for Loyola. I think um, obviously the defense played to its level, but I think the offense realized that they're not going to easily score 21 points every single game. Um, and I think that they realized that. Um, as you get, and not that they needed to realize it, maybe they, they probably know this. I'm sure Halsek has them prepared every single week for this, but um, they know that once you get to quarterfinals, semifinals, and a potential state championship game, I mean, you're playing the best of the best, and you're not going to easily score um, 40 points on them or hang 29 points on them. And um, after talking with Jake Sterney after the game, I mean, he, he said, like, the defense wasn't got our back, but you're going to see an entirely new offense next week after – um, a really bad performance. I mean, after a tough performance um, against a, a really good defense. So um, I think that's, that's the key here. I mean, how is the offense going to respond? I mean, you saw that the defense is going to, if they're healthy, that they can stop anyone on offense as much as they want. Um, we've seen that for much of the season. They struggled a little bit with Fenwick and brother rice, but um, that defense has been pretty strong, especially heading into the playoffs here. But um, that offense needs to figure it out. And I don't know whether that means um, do you stick with Mike Regan. Do you, um, do you get James Scrooge going right at the beginning of the game? I mean, do you go with Nima Shime and do you get right his hot hand sometimes? I mean, I think getting that running attack is going to be really key because as we've seen in the past, once that running game gets going, Loyola's passing game, I mean, this is very obvious for a lot of teams, but the passing game opens up and Sterney has shown that he's able to make um, plays there. So, um, I think that running game is really going to be, is going to need to get it going early on. Um, and I'm really curious and I'm curious to see wh- who you think it is, but I'm really curious to see who they kind of rely on early on there. Cause um, like you mentioned earlier, Mike Regan is a short game kind of guy, James Krups. I mean, we saw it in Mount, Car- Mount Carmel has huge potential for a big, big run and can make some plays. Um, so it's really interesting to see who they're going to rely on, on running back. And I think that really will depend, will determine whether, um, or not the offense really gets it going, especially early on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely curious to see what that's going to be. So um, one of those three guys, you know, we didn't see Kyan Riggs at all, um, which he could be an interesting, he, he's shown some signs of, of something special here. Um, you know, so I, I think they're going to work it all in again and, and figure it out. Um, you know, and the big question mark, which we, we talked about in the pregame, uh, pre-pod, I should say, was is Maldonado, Marco Maldonado. It's been nine weeks or so since his broken collarbone. Obviously, we don't know what's going on with his shoulder. We don't know what's going on with how he feels, and that's it. That's what matters. That's what is going to tell if he's going to play or not. We don't know. So, But if is he close? Is there a possibility he suits up either this week or if they win for the state championship? Um, that'll change the game dramatically. So, um Something just to keep an eye on. You know what I think in their passing game? I thought they had a couple nice plays, um, and there weren't many, but the couple nice plays that they had, two of them were to – two or three of them were to the tight ends, uh, were to Jack Fitzgerald and Jack Parker. Right. 
And Jack Parker made a big play, not just on the uh, fourth down fake punt, but also in the seam, I think in the third quarter or so for about a 20, 25 yard gain as well. So I uh, Fitzgerald had a couple catches too. I think that loosens up a defense a lot. If you can do that, that's going to free up Danny Collins and that's going to free up uh, Spencer Ledbetter and Charlie Mann um, to make some catches and do some things. Uh, they just misfired on some things over the middle that I think they can hit and they're going to have to, to move the football. They've proven that they can. They certainly proved that they could in the win over um, Naperville central in the second round. So I think they have to get back to that. Um, it's not going to be a nice day again. So they got to learn to, uh, or they got to perform under that weather if that had anything to do with it. Um, but I'm interested too, because like you said, it, it could be a wake up call. They can't, they can't be that inept on offense in, this late in the postseason and expect to get a three nothing victory again. Right. And I think that's a good point on the tight ends. I agree. Like once they get the, they, sh- I mean, I, I'm sure they want to use the, the tight ends as blockers and that kind of stuff, but um, those tight ends, when they, whenever they hit on them, that's like a big play. And um, I think, yeah, both uh, Fitzgerald and Powers, I mean, I think they're both really um, good at catching the ball and deep balls and that kind of stuff too. Like, especially like you mentioned that seam. So um, I think that's definitely something to open things up as well um, moving forward. So um, before we get predictions out of us for this game, um, what do you think happens in that Marist and Maine South game? I mean, both teams, I've seen Marist play um, and Marist looks like Marist. They have a strong defense, a good offense, thanks to Dontrell Jackson Jr. Um, and a good running game as well. While Maine South we've seen as well um, throughout the season, beating New Trier twice. What do you think that happens in that other semifinal game before we get to the Loyola semifinal? I'm just so surprised that Maine South keeps, keeps escaping these games. I, <laughs> I, they've, they've been down to everybody from Glenbrook South and Evanston to the past two weeks, Plainfield North and uh, this latest game too. So uh, kudos to them for just having that fight to come on back. But I don't know if they'll be able to do it against Maris. Maris is playing at a high level. These are both teams that we've seen Loyola play numerous times and even in the championship game. So uh, I find that interesting, but um, I think Maris is going to take care of business. Um, I, I just think they're a better team right now than Maine South and uh, Maine South has gotten away with a little too much here, but like I just said, they've proven to be a second half uh, power team. So um, don't be surprised if Maris takes an early lead and, and Maine South wears them down. But I think Marist is maybe too big and too strong of a program to allow that to happen. What do you think about the potential of uh, 7A and 8A both being all Catholic, uh, um, all Catholic state championships game where uh, Brother Rice and St. Rita could potentially meet um, in the 7A title game if they both win their semifinal games there? Yeah, I, uh, I'm not surprised. Um, <laughs> it's the Catholic League, and they're the best league in the state, and we know it. Um, they're bred that way, and uh, they have those pedigrees. So I'm not really surprised. You know, there were a lot of – there are still around a lot of good public schools too: Lincoln Way East, Lockport, uh, Maine South, um, um, and uh, Batavia was an unbelievable game with Mount Carmel that came down to to a controversial ending. So, a lot of teams. It's just a bummer they have to play so early. Um, I think Batavia was a state championship type team um, in that bracket, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not surprising to me, right? <laughs> All right, what happens on Saturday, Joe at uh, Loyola? Lockport, Loyola battling each other for a chance to go to the state title game in DeKalb. Uh, what do you think happens on Saturday afternoon? 
I think, uh, you know, my, my South Suburban boys step up and have a great game, but I don't think – I just don't think they have enough to overpower New- Loyal on their home turf. So I, I think their defense holds strong. Uh, I think they might even put one in the end zone, um, but I think Loyal is going to learn from, from that game against Lincoln Way East and uh, put some things together that uh, to, to figure out their offense. Um, that being said, I don't I don't think they're going to run away with anything. I think it's going to be quite a game here on Saturday, and I got I got Loyola with a with a sixteen to seven winner. Interesting. I got Loyola in a seventeen to thirteen winner. Um, I think uh, it'll be much close. It'll be another close battle. I think uh, it'll probably come down to a defensive stop from Loyola in the fourth quarter on a last position by uh, Lockport with a chance to either uh, to take the lead with a touchdown. But um, it's going to be a tight game. I think the offense rebounds from a very down game last week. I think they um, put some things together, realized what wasn't working. I think they're definitely going to work on those holding penalties that um, really derailed things last week. But um, I think Loyola wins um, 17 to 13 in another good game. And uh, we're going to have, I think I'm going to agree with your Marist pick. And I think we'll have a Loyola Marist and a state championship um, taking place next Saturday night in the Cal. But um, before we get there, make sure you are checking us out, Bojo and I, on Saturday for coverage of Saturday's game. We'll be there and we'll have um, a lot of tweets and a lot of analysis for you guys as well. Um, all right, that's everything that we've got for this week's episode of the Varsity Podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. Just a quick reminder that you can subscribe to the podcast anywhere that they're available. Make sure to spread the word. We always appreciate everyone's positive feedback. All right, like I mentioned earlier, the winter season is here, so we'll have Thanksgiving tournament coverage at therecordnorthshore.org. Make sure you follow us for all the great stuff there as well, and make sure to check out all my stuff at Friday Night Drive um, as we are heading into semifinal week and final week. Joe, what's your favorite week, semifinal week or final week? I, I mean, I love championship weekend. Um, you, you know, it's after Thanksgiving. It's just well-timed, you know, good time to sit on the couch and watch, you're able to watch the high school fall, which I do. Yes, I'm a, I'm a prep sports nerd, but um, <laughs> I really enjoy watching all these games, even the lower levels where I don't know the teams, you know, I can, I can flip it on and I'll see some good um, football that I haven't seen yet. So it'll be good. And, and I think this year, especially when we'll probably, not to predict anything, we'll see some really talented people there from, from Joliet Catholic to East St. Louis uh, to just these Catholic teams, we're going to see some, some talented folks on the field. So I think I prefer championship weekend. All right. Well, either way, it should be a fun weekend this weekend and next weekend. So for Joe and I, thanks so much for joining us this week and we will talk to you guys down the road. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Varsity, a product of the record northshore.org, your nonprofit local newsroom.